Hey everybody, I just wanted to let you know that today's interview was recorded over Skype and therefore the sound and video quality isn't up to our normal standards. Today, Leah is joined by Tiffany Couch, the CEO and founder of Acuity Forensics, and she's the author of The Thief in Your Company. In this two-part episode, Tiffany discusses her work, her book, and the lessons she's learned in her more than 22 years of accounting experience. Join us now for part one of our interview with Tiffany Couch. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I have with me today, Tiffany Couch. She's the owner of Acuity Forensics and a forensic accountant, and also the author of the book, The Thief in Your Company. So we're going to be talking about her book today. But first, Tiffany, thanks so much for being on our podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Before we get into the book, I'd like to talk about you and what really influenced your decision to become a forensic accountant in the first place. When I uh, I graduated college 22 years ago. It's really hard to believe. But when I went to college, never heard a word about, and I have an accounting degree, never uh-huh. heard the word fraud in any class. There was no such thing as forensic accounting as far as I could tell. I went into accounting because I thought it was going to be the safe thing to do. I could get a job anywhere. Yep. <laughs> and I was a few years into my career. I'd worked at Boeing. I'd worked in private industry. And I decided to take the CPA exam. I was actually working for two CPAs valuation work. And we had a woman come in. I will never forget her for two reasons. One, my husband and I just bought a house. So we were house poor. We found out we were having a baby. And we hadn't really planned on doing that just yet. And he had just gotten laid off from his job. Like all oh these things were happening in our life. At the same time, this woman comes in. She was gorgeous. She had the biggest I'd ever seen. driving a Jag, Jaguar car. She had beautiful clothes on and she said, my husband says we have no money and he's divorcing me and I need to value his business. That's how the case started. And of course, I'm looking at her and going, wow, there must be some money somewhere. And long story short, what I figured out is that the reason it said that his business had no money is that he was selling tobacco products and fireworks off the Indian reservation here in Washington state and taking those goods to Eastern Oregon, Idaho, Utah, those kinds of places and selling them for cash and bringing them back and reporting any of the income. That nice. all out. Figured it all yeah. out. And I went, gosh, I don't know what this is called, but this <laughs> is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that's how I got into forensic, you know, that's how I first got my first case, but I didn't even know what that was. I, we were just helping a right. woman through divorce and a business valuation. And I started looking and I found the certified fraud examiner on designation, started taking continuing education courses in that and decided that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of stumbled into it. That's totally stumbled into it. Yeah, that's awesome. And so then you worked in audit and you mentioned in your book, you had worked in audit and then started your firm. How many years ago? 12. So yeah, yeah, congratulations. After point, yeah. After that point, I went into a very traditional route. I went into an accounting firm where I did audit and tax and it was a small firm. So you got to do both, which was a really great experience, especially given what I do today. I did a lot of even bookkeeping and getting clients ready for, you know, their annual taxes, some business consulting. And that was a great firm to work for, but they never believed that forensic accounting was something you could make money at. You know, they were a very traditional firm. And so when I moved back to Washington State, I went to work for a large firm doing forensic accounting. Great firm, really bad boss. 
Uh, yeah. So I left there after about two years and started Acuity Forensics, and that was 12 years ago. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. That's thank you. It's I know that adventure, and so yeah, I know you uh, do. I can definitely empathize with all of that. In preparing for this interview, obviously I read your book again, so so that I could be prepared for this. But also, it kind of made me wonder because the book's been out for a little bit. If you have a favorite case that maybe you didn't share in your book, or is your one of your favorite cases you've ever worked in your book, and would you tell us that story? So most of my favorite cases at the time I wrote the book are in the book. And there's, you know, my favorite case is always and will forever be the case about Gary, which yeah. is where I learned really what fraud is all about. And, and what I learned about a fraud is that it has nothing to do with the money for our clients. It has everything to do with the trust breach, the fact that that person was loved by our clients. They were implicitly trusted. And I just want to be very clear. I use the word love on purpose, but our clients love their employees. And I, to an extent, love mine, right? Right, right. We care about people. and, And most of the fraudsters that I've ever encountered or my clients have ever encountered are the ones that they've trusted and loved the most. And that's the most egregious parts of these crimes. The fact that I learned it from Gary, the fact that Gary was very much like where I grew up. I grew up in a small town. I grew up where there's nothing but farmers. My dad was a farmer. You know, they're men's men. They're not emotional kinds of people. They're stoic. They'd much rather be doing a business deal out of their truck or at the coffee shop than they are going to be sitting in an office somewhere. And so to have this client that's a farmer, very successful, all of those, the strapping man's man, as I'm sitting there telling them that his troller, CFO, had stolen a million dollars and I wasn't even done yet, to have Gary stand up, cry. You know, one of the things I always say is farmers don't cry at funerals. And here I am, you know, a 30-year-old woman with a man crying in an office and I'm, I'm thinking, what do I do? You know, and realizing this has nothing to do with the money. It has everything to do with the breach of trust. So in that regard, it's my favorite story because of what it taught me and how it helped me better manage my clients going forward. Mm -hmm. So were you naturally, I'm curious, were you naturally a very empathetic person whenever you started this, or have you kind of developed some skills to help you with that side? Because I'm curious. That's a really great question. I am a naturally very empathetic person. Okay. And it was to the point where all of these things, you know, the Gary, all these cases, and when you're working multiple cases, I carried them around as if it was my burden to carry, as if it was Mm -hmm. my burden to to help these people. Mm -hmm. And it would it just would weigh me down and, and make me, you know, really emotional. And really that's not my burden to carry. So it really took me a few years to be able to, I am naturally empathetic and I'm always going to be empathetic, but I have now just developed a way to be able to express that. I don't carry it. And I don't know how to explain that, articulate it better. Am I more skeptical now? I think in some regard, you know, I think when you're in this business and you're looking at these kinds of cases all the time, or you're in litigation, you do tend to be a little bit more skeptical. What I've learned though, is with my job and with my work, as long as I take my ego out of it and I'm here to do my job and I can be empathetic and it's not on me. If I make a mistake, I own it. If I have a professional opinion, I own it. But at the end of the day, I'm 
company and I'm a mom and I'm a wife and all of those things, that's really helped me immensely. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It is so tough to see what a client is going through and you know, you can solve some of their problem, but you're right. It's not, I can help guide them through this process, but I can't take that on as my problem and then take it home to my husband. (laughs) Correct. No, you can't. And so one of the things, you know, I can do is I empathize with them and then I tell them what you're going through is normal, right? And all, when they're in that, all of that emotional garbage, and I tell them, this is what's normal. This is what every other client deals with. They start to realize, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not going nuts. And maybe, you know, I can start getting them back into their rational brain. And then they can start feeling a little bit more empowered. I always tell them, go run your business. I'll go figure out this issue. And we'll have a meeting in the minds when it, when it makes sense. So that seems to help them get out of that that mess, but it's a process. I always say it's almost like a 12 step grief process. You've yes, got to just go through it. Yep. Absolutely agree. Well, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back to my interview with Tiffany couch right after this. So Andy, you just completed the investigation game case of the main cave. What'd you think? I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, all the different options you could take and the different routes you could take and how the cards led you from one card to the next um, was, was a lot of fun. It was actually, uh, it was not what I expected and it was more, uh, it was very well put together. Um, everything from like the card decks to the envelopes, like it was very professional. My favorite part of the game was how interactive it was and it was kind of choose your own adventure type situation where you pick the path you went down and then it would tell you if you wasted time here or if you had the right answer. I would recommend the investigation game to my coworkers uh, because it was a good team activity and I think it would uh, be fun in like an accounting environment um, just to kind of work together as a team and be collaborative. It would be, you know, great for recruiting or even just like company events, um, you know, like team building exercises or even taking like a client to um, a good way to just kind of build those relationships. To learn more or to register, visit investigationgame.com. All right, and we're back with Tiffany Couch. You say in your book, trust is not an internal control. And probably one of the proudest moments is when I had, I have someone on my team who handles all the data processing and she, so she wasn't a fraud examiner or anything. And she's been with me about three or four years. And my proudest moment was in her first year working for me. One day we're talking about a case and she said, cause trust isn't an internal control, is it? And I was like, so proud. Anyway. So then you talk about that in your book too. That's right. For me, knowing trust isn't an internal control, sometimes that line, because we can't completely not trust people, but then at the same time, I mean, so that feels super scary, but at the same time, we can't put 100% of our trust in someone, but at the same time, we can't 100% control everything. And so what does that line look like? And when do we take a risk on something and when do we not? I mean, probably the kind of scenario that comes to my mind is in IT, my IT guy has been with me for nine years or almost nine years. And there's just a limit that like, I can understand X amount, but then after that point, I'm 100% trusting him because I don't know what I'm doing. And so where is that line in business and how do you advise clients of how they manage, especially after they've had this trust broken? On that subject, one of the way, one of the things I tell my clients is, listen, it's our job to keep our assets safe. It's also our job to keep our employees safe in their job. And so we always have to have some sort of trust relationship in every employee, employer, 
relationship. I mean, that's just inherent because otherwise you and I would be doing everything and we simply can't, right? Right. We're awesome <laughs> women. We're right. Awesome, no. Right. No, so, we have our limits. Yeah. Um, so the question I always have is what's the risk, right? Am I going to put three people at the cash box where we have the petty cash? Probably not because I only have a hundred bucks in there. But am I going to make sure that somebody's always looking at cancel checks every month because that's where the majority of our money goes out the door? Yes. And so for me, it's a resource issue and a risk issue. And so if they have fewer resources, then send the bank statements over to your CPA or to your wife or to your husband or just somebody else who will look at them. Send them to the IT guy. You know, we've got to look at the risk and we also have to look at the resources. But I always say, even in the smallest of small business, we can figure out the resources to minimize the risk. I agree. Absolutely. What are some things that whenever you're talking to either clients at the beginning of a case or even just non-clients, just people in general talking about business, what are some things that they say that just kind of makes the little red flag in your head go up and they're not even trying to talk about fraud, you oh, know, especially in those situations? Such a great question. My favorite question to ask is how's business? Yeah. Because clients yeah. know their business, right? You're right. And one of my favorite stories is uh, my my doctor client of mine who said, gosh, business is great. I'm looking to hire another doctor. I can't play golf on Fridays. We have so many patients coming in the door. But gosh, dang it, we're taking home less money. Yep, yep. So when, when clients tell me business is great and cash flow is not, then the question in my mind is, do we have a cash flow problem and we're not managing our expenses, as an example? Mm -hmm. Or is money coming going out the door and they're just not paying attention and, and don't realize or know how to get their arms wrapped around it? That's probably one of the biggest ones I hear. And I hate to say it, but it's also when somebody will be talking to me and they'll be like, you know, that Leah, Leah is so great. And she would never do that to me. And, you know, she does everything for me. I don't know what I would yeah. do without Leah. And then they're explaining to me that Leah bills the customers and takes the money to the bank and pays all the bills and signs all the checks and reconciles it all. And my client's over there doing everything else, but we can't even talk about Leah because she's so wonderful. Yeah. That, that just, and I hate, it's like, I hate to be that skeptical person, but I have to be because right. it's, it's the Leah's of the world, right? It's those trusted yep. people that are given the keys to the kingdom that are hurting our clients. Yes. So true. Yeah. Um, things always get my, uh, what about you? Do, do you have a different one? Anytime someone doesn't know if their bank accounts are reconciled oh. that, you know, yeah. like, and, and I don't even know how that comes up in a conversation, but it seems to. And then I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, I have to tell you, like, you have to go look at this yes. or, oh no, they don't ever give me the bank statement. Like I never look at the bank statement. And this is just a general business conversation, but yeah, yeah I agree. The That's the one person about the person that saves their life every week by handling 100% of everything. So, you know, that's definitely when that flag comes up and, and it's a very difficult conversation to have because a lot of times they don't even want to listen. Like there's no way somebody's stealing from them. So. It can't be, it can't be, you know, or, or how about, um, there's no way that person's stealing from me because she's too stupid. <laughs> oh my gosh. They steal the most money, right? They do. they do. Another thing, just talking about bank accounts and being reconciled, you know, when somebody says they have a problem and they're explaining this elaborate scheme, the first thing, and I know you talk about this in the book is I'd like to just look at your bank accounts. If I can just look at your bank statement, I can tell you at least where to start. 
Yeah. So what are some of those things that you look for whenever you just ask for those bank statements up front? Well, the first thing I do is I want to, you know, my clients know how much money they're making. They'll say, well, we make about a million dollars a year. We make $2 million a year. We make $30 million a year. We make $300,000 a year. They know how much money they're making. Mm -hmm. So I just look at the deposits and I don't care about transfers and I don't care about lines of credit. Like do those deposits match up generally to that amount? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number two, I look at all the debit activity. I just had a client just last year. She's brand new executive director. She's getting me online so I can look at the bank statement. She's talking to me about something else. And I said, do you have a home mortgage that you guys have to pay? She says, we don't have any mortgage. We don't even have to pay rent. I go, do you shop at such and such a place for this business? What are you talking about? And, and what was I doing? I had pulled just a random bank statement and looked at the debit activity and yeah. this woman was paying her mortgage, paying her utilities, going shopping, all on the front page of the bank statement. So that's the second thing I look at is yeah. the debit activity. I also look and make sure the taxes are being paid. And the other thing I noticed right away is that there were no USA tax payments coming out of my client's account every single month or every two weeks. When the payroll taxes aren't paid, it's a huge red flag. So I, yes. I look at the debit activity usually for what's going on, but I also want to make sure those payroll taxes are being paid. And then the last thing I do is ask for the cancel check images. And I want to make sure that nobody's writing checks to themselves or to their own credit card or to their own vendors or what have you. Yeah. So easy. Just it's those so few, few things. Easy. And that's 90, 90% of all frauds. Our money is being skimmed and not being deposited to the bank, or it's just a cash disbursement scheme. And so, you know, nowadays with some of the payroll services, so I will also look credit card statements and payroll statements or payroll reports, but man, 90% of those frauds are happening right there on the bank statement and our clients aren't looking. Right. Yeah. Because they trust. They think they trust that star employee is taking care of them. Right. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Investigation Game. Be sure to tune in next time for the conclusion to this two-part episode.